Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flares here with a special episode of the Lazy D&D Talk Show. In this episode, I wanted to kind of get my thoughts together around the question of how to make it in the D&D and RPG industry. I am not in this in this show. I am not jumping right into suggestions or uh, advice or anything like that. This I am kind of getting my head around the topic and trying to get my own thoughts together uh, about this big oftenly often discussed question just to get everything going i took a walk just now and i was thinking about this topic and i think about it all the time like i think everybody thinks about it all the time right or a lot many not everybody but lots of people think about this question all the time and there's so many different paths and there's a lot of advice and some of it's good and some of it's not and some of it's useful and some of it's not it's not whether it's good or or not or useful or not so yeah i really wanted to just kind of put my put my thoughts together so i started a little notion a little notion notebook here and i wanted to uh, start to put my thoughts together on how to make it in the DD and rpg industry and my wife of course immediately said well what does making it what does making it mean right and that i think is a really good question right and to me that is the ultimate determination of your success in making it or not making it is how do you define making it and not making it and i i wrote down some like six six different possible definitions for making it that are in my opinion sort of exponentially harder right this is the powers of 10 of difficulty of quote unquote making it right and the six that i came up with were Write something that three other people enjoy, right? Relatively low bar to do that. Earn enough money to pay your electric bill. This is actually Stephen King definition of success of, I think of talent, right? Right. Your talent, he considers, Stephen King considers you talented if you can write something that somebody will buy enough to pay off your electric bill. I think that's a good one, right? I think that that's probably where somebody should aim right i think and i think we i think people can get there quit your day job and write rpg f stuff full time so that's you know there's probably stuff between two and three right there's probably you know something in between uh two and three and i don't know exactly what that is right but there's there's definitely we'll, we'll put some question marks there and think about what that one is there's probably another level in there quit your day job and write rpg stuff full time Right. And then what is what does that take exactly? And it's not just money. Get a paying job with benefits in the RPG industry. Probably exponentially harder than quitting your job. Right. And that which is exponentially harder than these other ones. Become a lead designer at we could even just say become a designer, right? Like become instead of the lead designer. Let's go become a designer at Wizards of the Coast. Right. And then my favorite one in powers of ten, start a gaming company that overthrows D and D. Right. And these are higher and higher levels of difficulty and bordering on really impossibility. Teos Abadia wrote a fantastic article about why the idea of competing with D&D is, is almost a ridiculous notion for for almost everybody, because until you're ready to brand a flavor of bologna or come up with nerds candy, you're not going to be overthrowing D&D, right? And, and as soon as you don't have your logo on a box of nerds candy at 7-Eleven, you don't have to worry about overthrowing D&D. It's not just about making a great RPG, right? So, yeah, Sunjammer says, and now we see Mike's real plan. No, 
right? Because I'm not even in four, right? I'm probably, I don't know what three is exactly, but I'm somewhere there in three. I'll, I'll, I'll put in three. I think I have an idea. Go part-time writing D&D and RPG or creating. We'll say, we'll say creating because it could be anything. Material. I don't know what to call it. Content. Like I hate the word content, right? Stuff. Right. And, and that, you know, so, I, and then that number three is where I've gotten, right? Number, I'm, I'm, I'm up to number three. And do I plan on number four? I don't know. But this ain't about me. We're not talking about me here. So I think there's another uh, very important point here, which is advice is bullshit. So advice is bullshit because almost always it's coming from the perspective of the person offering the advice. And very rarely is it built around the person who is receiving the advice and everyone's different and everybody's lives are different, right? The best we can do far better is to share experiences and offer thoughts, right? And that's kind of what I want to do here, right? I want to share experiences and offer some thoughts, right? Obs and offer like thoughts and observations, right? Because that's what we can do. The reality is like the path that I followed, no one else in the world can follow, right? So that's kind of what I want to do, right? Is I want to offer some thoughts and experience. I don't think that it is an insurmountable problem, right? The role of luck, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an observation that half of one's success, wrapping that in quotes because it's, it's the making it problem, as based on luck, right? I love, oh, what's the artist's name? Uh, John Baldessari, right? John Baldessari's three tips for, for artists, which I think are val very excellent pieces of advice. You must be obsessed, which you cannot will. Talent is cheap. I actually think that's his first one. And be at the right place at the right time. Those are really good pieces of advice and why the reason I like them is none of them are under your control, <laughs> right? <laughs> that they're all, they're all things that you can't really do anything about. And that's why they are, are kind of accurate for this. But that's not, you know, that's not the best advice. Like nobody wants to hear that, right? And, and that's some of the reason that I don't talk about this topic often is there's kind of two different ways to think about this topic. And there's two different ways to sort of think about advice overall and one of the things where people's where, where where people get bent out of shape this is really there's a weird bizarre dichotomy in this situation people who have an optimistic view of something are more likely to succeed at it but they're generally more optimistic than the reality allows for right so if if you have people if you were to take two groups of people i think this is true i think science there's science about this i think if you took two groups of people and you had one group of people who were pragmatists and and really looked at the situation as the, as the way it was and they were bayesian thinkers and they recognized the difficulties and you had another group that were all highly optimistic highly driven people and you said we want to see who we're going to have these two groups and we're going to see how many of them make it in the rpg industry by and large the optimistic group would do better in the industry than the pragmatist group, but not as good as they thought they would do <laughs> overall as a group, right? More people would fail when they didn't think they would fail than the pragmatist group would. And it's a, that's a real tough like problem, right? That if you, the more optimistic you are, 
you are actually more likely to succeed, but not by as much as your as your optimism is allowing for, right? And so how do you, you know, I don't know how you deconstruct that. I I tend to fall on the pragmatist side, right? I think I think I'm not an optimist. I don't think I'm overly optimistic. I think I'm a pragmatist. And so that and then that means the advice I offer is is pragmatic, right? I don't I don't you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not your priest, right? I'm not going to say oh, you can make it like everybody can do this and you can do it. Just all you need is, you know, just work hard and be great. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna offer that because it is hard. Right. And instead I would say like, there's certain paths. If you look at that list of making it right, I think like maybe three is achievable, not always, maybe not even half the time, but reasonably achievable right? That is a goal that I think people might be able to reach. Some people might be able to reach. I think getting to four, five, six, and seven are almost, are so rare. It's better to not even contemplate it, right? It's better to not make that a goal. I wouldn't make it a goal. I don't make those goals necessarily, right? I, 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 I wouldn't offer them as goals because they're too hard, right? And, and, and your, your odds of failure are so high, right? That aim, aim, low, aim lower. You want to get more done, do less, right? So yeah, so that, you know, I think that that's, I think, I think that that's a, you know, uh, an issue with the, the, the duality of optimism and pragmatism. Is that really interesting, right? Optimistic, more likely to succeed, but not as much as they think they will. So, but, but what about practical advice, right? Okay, so that's all great, right? We got all this general nonsense, but but let's say you wanted to get to three, right? Where, you know, where, how would you get to three? How to get to number three, right? That, i.e., you're earning enough money that you can go part-time, right? that, you can, that you can lower hours at a day job if you can. And maybe, you know, maybe good. And really you got to start with one, two, and three, right? I mean, I, you know, I know one piece of advice that I would start a newsletter, right? Email, social media platform of the future. I was reading an article in the Washington Post today because I'm old about a streamer, a Twitch streamer, who is a millionaire, multimillionaire, right? And was very poor. His family was very poor. And he got into streaming and he's been doing it. And it was about actually how hard it is, right? That 10 hour days, seven days a week, he's online, right? Tons and, you know, and, and he's in, I think he's number 14 of the top Twitch streamers as far as money is concerned. And he makes, you know, he has product endorsements and he's got lots of different aspects and he's got lots of different things. And I thought that was, the article was really interesting and it got me to surf on YouTube and look at like, how do people make money on Twitch? And I, it was very funny. I was watching a video from a young woman who's a Twitch streamer and offers lots of advice. And she broke down how she got to $10,000 a month doing Twitch streams and number her, 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 her kind of different layers that she had. Number one was product endorsements and affiliate stuff was low, which I think she said that was like a thousand a month that she was earning from that. Number two was actual subscriptions and gifts and tips coming through Twitch people that were actually handing money through Twitch, right? Through the, through the traditional mechanisms of Twitch. And three was, what was three? 
I think three, I'm, I'm, I think I'm missing one, but three was doing consulting gigs, which I thought was very interesting. And she talked about that consulting is actually offers really good revenue. You, you can, you know, she was earning $50 an hour, a hundred dollars an hour, up to a hundred dollars an hour doing consulting for individuals about how to make it in this thing, which is kind of interesting. Cause it's like, you're making it in this industry by telling other people how to make it in this industry, which is kind of psych cyclic. Right. But okay. And, and, and her point was, you probably don't want to do that because it doesn't scale. And I thought that was a really good thought because it doesn't scale. Right. And, but the reality is neither does Twitch streaming, right? Because you have to be online to make the money. And then she had her number one biggest way of making money. Young, young woman in her, in her, I think in her twenties, who was talking about, you know, big Twitch streamer, number one way that she was making money, she wrote a book and she sells her book. And I thought like, well, that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> right? Like I got that, I'm, you know, I understand that. So I thought that was very funny, but it did bring up the point of like, you know, really thinking wide about your, about the platform. Platform's kind of a loaded jargony term, right? Like what's your platform? What's your brand? Right. And, you know, try it everywhere, right? Don't, you know, hooking up to one source isn't really that valuable. Like if you just say, I live and breathe on Twitter, that's where I, that's where I get my stuff from. Well, Twitter changes their algorithm and you're hosed. All right. And that could be a real problem. You know, YouTube, right? Oh, I do everything on YouTube. Well, then YouTube changes their algorithm. And where are you? Right. So, so that, you know, I think you not only want to, I say you, like I'm offering advice again, right? And what do we know about advice? Look at right, right up there. Right. This is advice is bullshit. So, so this is me pondering my thoughts, right? Getting my thoughts together. I think it makes sense to, to spread across many platforms, right? And what are those platforms? Blogs, email, newsletters, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, the TikTok. I can't even, I don't even know how to spell TikTok. What else? Various retail platforms, right? Amazon, drive through DMs Guild, your own, you know, your own store, whatever, right? Have a lot of different ones. So I, I, think, I think it's useful to try all of these different, all of these different paths. As far as spreading the platform, I think the other, I think the other idea here is understanding the funnel. Uh, I did not understand the funnel until relatively recently, right? The marketing funnel, right? We'll add this to the marketing, the marketing funnel. And uh, the marketing funnel, you, you, you know, this is, this is right out of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? He talks about, you know, A-I-D-S, right? This is right. Go watch the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross Go watch the Glengarry Glenn Ross video of what's his name? Yeah, second prize is a set of steak knives. Who who did that? That was what's his name? Somebody remind me of the actor who did that. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. A B C always be closing, right? Always be closing. It's a great video. And and anyway, he talks at one point about AIDS or attention, interest, decision, action. 
right? I think those are his AIDS, which is one level of the funnel. I don't know if that's actually, I've heard the funnel referred to in different things, but you can think of these as, you know, billboards on the highway, brand recognition, right? You're just trying to get people to see anything that you're doing. If you are, I'll give you an example, and that is this thing I'm doing right now. But this is, this, this idea, YouTube and Twitch, I consider to be that attention level. That, you know, you're surfing through Twitch, you see the D&D thing, you look at it, you kind of sort through, you're going through it, and you're like, hey, this is one where somebody's not running a game. I wonder what the hell he's talking about. Plus, that title is sticky, that idea of, like, how do you make it in the RPG industry? That's sticky. So you know, I'm going to go and take a look, right? Same thing with YouTube. YouTube, you search on a topic, you see videos, you go, I wonder what that's about. It doesn't look terrible. So you go watch the video and and, and off you go, right? So that is, those to me are, are attention. I think one of the interesting things is that Twitter went from a lower level of the funnel to become an upper level of the funnel. And that fundamentally changed how Twitch operates. And it, it changed how I consider Twitch, right? Or Twitter, sorry. It, it changes how I consider it. But the idea here is you're just getting people to understand anything of yours. Just it's brand. It's, it's a billboard on the highway, right? Interest means that they're actually taking a look at what you've got, right? They might, they might subscribe to your channel. They might follow you on Twitter or Twitch. They might subscribe to your YouTube videos. You know, they might do something like that and they might subscribe to your newsletter, right? I actually, I take that back. I think this is, these kind of things I just described are one level deeper. Interest is they take a look at more of your stuff. They watch another video. They read more of your tweets. They, what else do they do? They read more blog articles, right? They're just surfing and seeing more of your stuff. Find a blog through Google, find an article, right? Find an article through Google, run into a video on YouTube, either recommended or a topic, see a tweet, see a recommended tweet or retweeted tweet, right? So attention is they just see one thing. They haven't even acted. It just, it flowed into their world somehow. They just saw, you know, and, and that's really, really hard, right? They might read a, read a Reddit post or comment, right? That's just attention, surface layer stuff. Interest, they take a look at more stuff. They read, they watch another video. They read more of your tweets. They read more of your blog articles. They haven't done anything yet, but they're surfing through. Right, they're checking out more stuff, right? Decision is now they're actually doing something. They subscribe to your channel, you know, YouTube channel. They follow you on Twitch or Twitter, right? They subscribe to your YouTube video. I guess I said that again. Uh, they subscribe to your newsletter, right? This is, they have made a decision that they actually kind of dig your stuff enough that they're willing to do something a little bit more. They're willing to subscribe to you, right? That's kind of the third layer. And then the action layer, if we're using the Alec Baldwin, Glengarry, Glenn Ross model, is they actually give you some money, right? They buy a book. They become a patron. 
what else could they do? I mean, do I have any other avenues than that? I think that's pretty much it. Uh, they back a Kickstarter, right? Those are actionable steps. And then there's, there is actually uh, another one, which is becoming a super, a super fan. And super fans are awesome, awesome people, right? And they could, another one we could have here and the decision is join a Discord, right? And they do, they buy all, buy everything, subscribe everywhere, back everything and promote you, right? Awesome, awesome people. I, I like, I don't even like to think of them as fans. I like to think of super friends, right? They're like the super friends. So, but we'll call them super fans for the sake, because this is about me. This is about everybody, right? So those those are kind of the the angles and a key to understanding the marketing funnel. Again, this is all new stuff to me, right? I'm not an expert in this at all. I didn't do this for 15 years, right? And I've only been thinking about it recently, but it helps understand. Yeah, see, Vladimir the Red says, good afternoon, and popped in because Twitch recommended you, right? So that's, that's you, welcome, my friend. You are in the top layer of the attention. And, you know, and you can think of them as powers, of, like, like the powers of 10 and how difficult it is to make it in the industry. These are also powers of 10. Getting from the point of somebody who sees a video randomly come across their YouTube to them promoting you, buying all of your stuff and promoting your work to their friends, right? That's, you know, you're going to, that's a reason it's a funnel, <laughs> Right? It's not a, it's not a tube. It, it narrows down and it narrows down by like powers of 10 every time. Right. So, and, and that attention is the hardest part. Getting enough attention that it will turn into that last one is really hard. And there's not, there's not a fantastic, there's not a fantastic way to do it. If I can offer one experience that I can share that I have learned and that I've talked to many other creators about. I haven't found anybody who has said that this isn't true of all of the people I talked to. I've not done a scientific survey on this, so this is just a shared experience, but I think that it is a, a really valuable thing. And that is the email newsletter as a, as a tool, because the, the email newsletter can hit four of the five things in the marketing funnel, right? It can contact and connect four of the five things. If you can get them from interest to subscribing to your newsletter, right? Then, then you really are able to connect with people. And the getting those, getting subscribers to, to the action step is much, I don't wanna say easier, but much more likely than a lot of other streaming platforms, right? And I've done some metrics on this. I've, I've had a bunch of different book sales and I've had a bunch of different kicks. I've, I've had a Kickstarter that I ran and it is 20 times to 40 times more likely to get to action than a tweet with the same impressions, right? An email newsletter is 20 to 40 times more likely to get to action than a tweet with the same impressions. I've done a bunch of different metrics on this and, and I found it to be the case. And the idea is if you put out a new product, you, you make a thing, right? You've got a new short adventure that you wrote and you want people to buy it, right? The way to, uh, it is if you, if you put out a newsletter to a thousand people and you put out a tweet that is read by a thousand people, you're going to get 20 times, you know, I'm, you going to get, right? I have seen that, 20 times more people are, are likely to buy it from the newsletter than buy it from a, to buy it over a tweet. And that's really the reason why is because a tweet is under that attention one. 
and the newsletters under the decision one. Think how much more you took from somebody when they subscribe for a newsletter, right? They are giving you their email address. It's a pretty private thing, right? Tweet, like we follow everybody. And with the algorithm, people are following thousands of people, right? But you're not giving your email address out to thousands of newsletters. So good work draws attention. I'm not, I, I, you know, I love you, Enrique. I don't think it's just that. I think hard work and luck have equal parts in, in something getting successful. I, I really would not discount luck. Hard work, persistence, and luck all go hand in hand. Luck, work, and timing. Yep. Yeah, I think that that's pretty good. It's hard, right? And I don't have a... There, but there's there's angles, right? There are ways that you can... This is the tricky bit about luck. Luck always exists. Luck is always there. But there are angles that you can take. There are way, There are levers. There's leverage that you can get that that help leverage luck. It's, it's the equivalent of, well, you know, your chance of winning the lottery goes up consistently, goes up considerably if you buy a ticket right? It also goes up considerably if you buy two tickets or four tickets or eight tickets, right? You're doubling your chances every time. Of course, the expense is going up. And of course, the odds are still really, really low. But like, you know, I'm not likely to win the lottery because I don't play the lottery. I'm a lot less likely to win the lottery because I don't play the lottery. If I played it, man, if I bought one ticket, I would be a lot less likely to win than if I bought 10 tickets, right? It's that same way of, of leverage, right? And, and I think there's kind of two ways to do this. One is change what success looks like. What if your lottery success was, I want to make $10, right? And I think like a lot of these like scratch tickets, <clears throat> you know, you can make $10, right? It's not, it's not out of hand to make $10. You're probably not going to make money in the end, but it's probably easier to make $10 than it is to make a hundred million, right? And so, so change your goal, which I'm, I'm not, that's, I'm offering advice again. A thought is, you know, understanding what the right goal is, right? And, and building a goal that is achievable, reasonably achievable, is one way to get where you want to go, right? And then two is, what's the right levers and leverage to get there, right? What are the things that you can do, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, Laudrine says he's discussing, you know, white male privilege too, right? That, that also cannot be discounted in this industry or, or not even this industry in the world, right? So, yeah, that's why, like, I'm not saying you should do these things and you're going to be successful, right? Because there's so many other factors that are in play, so many different positions that people are in the world, so many different ways that this all goes about. So do not take, please do not take what I'm saying and be like, oh, anybody can do this. And it's like, yeah, thanks, white guy with a stable job and, you know, all the benefits that have come in my life. Because I can tell you, there's, there's so many factors of luck that have come into my world that let me get where I've been, that I, there isn't an ounce of me that says that only it was through hard work and determination and, and, and talent that I got where I'm getting. That's not true. It is luck almost, almost primarily by, I don't even, I, I don't even have to put a ratio on it because the further back you go, the higher that ratio gets 99%, not out of hand. Right. So yeah, luck has such a huge factor. And in a good way to think about it is like, look at yourself right now and look at yourself 20 years ago or 40 years ago, if you go that far that back and ask yourself if you had any idea that you'd be doing what you're doing now. Probably not, right? So, but can you, can you get leverage for that angle of luck? I think you can leverage some things, right? And one of the levers that I have found to be highly useful, which is one thing that, boy, if I could give myself this advice 10 years ago, I really wish I'd, I had done so and would have taken it, which is start an email newsletter. Because 
I thought blogging was great and I still do my blog all the time. Well, guess what? My blog is my newsletter, right? The same, they're two of the same, but I'm now getting four times more people reading the newsletter than reading the blog articles today, right? And think how much more that would have been if I had done both at the same time, instead of only just launching it a year ago. So, so yeah, that, you know, I think a newsletter is a really good, powerful lever. The problem is the newsletter isn't attention. It's not that first level. And I think that this first level here is, is the hardest part. What would I do if I was starting from scratch, right? And it would probably, you know, try all the platforms, you know, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, what other, what other avenues? I'd start a blog, right? Right, I think a blog is important. Reddit, Facebook. I don't know about Facebook anymore, but maybe, you know, any kind of the communities, right? If there are there communities you can get into, you know, oh, podcasting. Yeah. So where, where does pod, pod, podcasting, I think goes kind of in here, right? Podcasts are hard because you don't, they're not, they're, the, the path to get to a podcast is actually pretty hard to find, right? It's not like you don't just run into podcasts like you do videos on, on YouTube. That's why I find YouTube to be far more valuable. This is a, a little, a shared experience, right? So YouTube is far more popular than podcasts, right? I've, I've found this to be the case. I run, I have both a podcast and a YouTube channel that both get the same content. And the podcast is not small. I think it gets a couple thousand downloads for each episode, roughly, right? But my YouTube videos are getting like five, 6,000 downloads, right? Or five, 6,000 views. So I'm finding that YouTube is a, a, a more successful platform than podcasts, but I don't think there's a reason you can't do both. The amount of extra effort that it takes me to make a podcast from, from a video that I shoot is five minutes a week, right? It's really, really low. And the cost is really low. I think I am paying for a subscription to make my podcast, but it's not expensive. So yeah, and it's because podcasts have shitty discovery. Exactly. Gaming and BS is, is on the money again, with, which, you know, Discovery is much easier on YouTube, but it's also uh, a detriment because you are counting on YouTube's algorithms and everything like that to get you that attention and they could just change it and you're hosed, right? Like they could just sort of shift and change how they're doing things. They're trying, right? They seem to have a good angle. YouTube right now, the YouTube algorithm, I think is far better than the Twitter algorithm for helping creators do stuff, right? And it's because the algorithms are working in our favor now. Will they always work in our favor? right? Who can know? But podcasts, I own it, right? I own the feed. I own the data. So discovery sucks for podcasts, which is very true. But much like a newsletter, I am not dependent upon one source. I use Podbean to host my podcast, but I could move it anywhere, right? If I, if I decided I didn't like Podbean, I could go somewhere else. So there's a risk. You know, YouTube has a risk that, that podcasts don't, but podcasts don't have near the visibility. But podcast is a good one. It's, it's one worth you know, it's one worth experimenting with. And that's, I think, you know, try everything, right? Find what you find, what works for you and find what you love and stick to it. Right. And then maybe get lucky. So I think that that, you know, so, so when we think more about getting attention, right, trying everything, I don't know that I've got any other good ways, you know, a lot of people describe, and, and I think that this probably is true, but you know, engage, right. Get into conversations help others, join group projects, be a positive member, 
of the community, right? I did hear an interesting thing on the email newsletter thing, right? Which is give three times what you take. So in other words, for every, if you were going to put out four newsletters, three of those four should be things that you're giving to the reader on with no strings attached. Right. And then, you know, one fourth or less should be a request for something that you want from them. Right. And so for me, like I don't put a lot of ads out on my newsletter, but occasionally I do if I have a Kickstarter going or if I've got a sale going or something like that, then I push it towards the newsletter and I have a pretty good return on that. And I have a good return because the newsletter offers things. Right. So what about conventions? Conventions are a good, that's a good question. And I have friends who go to conventions and market at conventions and they've been doing it a long time. And I think they generally break even. They still do it because it feels like part of the thing to do, right? But I, I don't think that, and I think they, they make money, but like when you consider the cost and the travel time and, the, and, and their time and getting other people there, you know, to help man the booths and stuff like that, I think they about break even. Personally speaking, I don't, I don't do them. I, I don't, I think it's so much more valuable to find a way to leverage the, the scaling of the internet than it is to try to leverage the scaling of human beings in a physical building. So I, I, I don't think my, my, my assessment is that they're probably not worth it. On the other hand, you get to go to conventions for free. So, you know, that's not bad. Right. But I bet you, I, I would rather find ways to bring in revenue or get my work in front of more people that then earns enough money that I can go to a convention and just enjoy the convention. <laughs> I bet you that's more successful, but I don't know. Right. And I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of data on that these days though. I don't, I haven't been going to a convention, you know, COVID will you uh, add cons and other live events to the getting attention strategy? Probably not. I don't, I don't think that that's the best way to get attention. Cause I just don't think you can get in front of enough people. Right. Like, I think it's really hard. A lot of people do it and, you know, they've been doing it for many, many years, but I think is, are they doing it for many years because it's habit and because they think it works or do they actually have metrics that say, oh no, conventions definitely bring in more than if I was doing a regular streaming show. So getting attention. The other one is consistency, right? And this is really hard because you might do it over and over and over again and just not get, just not get people do things regularly, right? and consistently that works that works as long as people are going to see it. But I know people that are working really hard at trying to build up a YouTube channel and I've seen it and, and they've got a regular show. They've got like staff that are working on it. Right. And they're just not getting subscribers people aren't coming in. So Consistency only works. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm again sharing experience here, getting my thoughts together. Not this isn't truth, right? This is me thinking about it. Consistently only works if the angle is right for bringing in, right? So there needs to be enough of an angle. The door needs to be open enough. Like it's not great if you've got the door closed and you're singing, no one can hear you sing, right? The door's got to be open enough that people can actually hear you singing. Right. And, and, and it's, it's hard. I will offer. So when we're talking about like a shared experience, right. And, and tools, and we talk about the value of newsletter, I'll offer another little tool that I like called tube buddy, right? It's a paid service. If this is for YouTube stuff. And I think it really helped me, right? TubeBuddy is a plugin that goes into your Chrome browser 
And it lets, it gives you a lot of information about, let's see, you know what I can do? The problem is TubeBuddy requires Chrome. So TubeBuddy is a plugin for Chrome. And it has a few features that I have found that I think really, really have helped, really have helped my YouTube videos and my YouTube channels getting, getting more popular. And one of them is this uh, really powerful idea called a keyword explorer. And what keywords do is you can add tags to a video and you can put stuff in your description. And it shows you what tags are getting a lot of people searching for them, but there aren't a lot of videos answering for them. And it shows you that like, if you put the D&D tag into your video, that's not very useful. If you put the Strixhaven tag into your video, that is more useful. If you put Strixhaven D&D review in your tag, that's gonna be far more useful because more people are doing a search for D&D Strixhaven than they are general Strixhaven. Or there's too many videos about Strixhaven overall because it's a Magic the Gathering setting. So it shows you the angle of a keyword. And the angle you're looking for are keywords that people are looking for that not a lot of videos are answering, right? And that's what kind of gets you, that's an angle that you can take. I think TubeBuddy pays for itself just with that, but it has a lot of other features like templates that you can generate. All my, all my video templates are built using TubeBuddy. It is a, it is a very useful uh, tool. It does cost some money. I don't know how much it costs. It's not crazy expensive. And it, it ended up being worthwhile in the end. And it's not totally, it, it's, it's like on the sleaze category. It's touch sleazy, but not really, right? Because it's only bad if you're like using it to do, you know, clickbaity sort of stuff. And I would not, I would not use TubeBuddy's recommendations as an angle to do videos. You could do that, right? You could kind of figure out what are, what are search terms that people are looking for that aren't getting results. Maybe I'll do a video about that. I mean, that's okay. But better is like, what are the right, for this video that I thought I was interested in doing, what are the right tags for me to put in there so that people can find it? I actually don't know how much, how valuable keywords are now, right? And I think once you hit a certain point when your subscriptions and everything else, the keywords are not offering the same value they were early on. But I, I wonder, I don't have any data to back this up, but I wonder if if you have a really low subscriber count, really low views, if tags are your way to get some leverage, I would not be surprised if that were true. It's possible that the right tags are, are an avenue to get videos in front of people. I'll also share the experience that YouTube is now the number one way that people are finding all of the rest of my stuff. And that, that this is new over the past, basically the past year or two. I've, I haven't really done a lot of YouTube stuff for the previous couple of years, but now I'm doing a lot, right? And so A, I'm doing a lot, so that has something. But then the other one is, yeah, like when I look at my Patreon, on, on my Patreon page, uh, I have a poll and about half of patrons have answered the poll. And I ask them, how did you find me? 40% are from YouTube right? The other 60% are broken out across blogs, Twitter, newsletter, everything else, right? Newsletter is actually pretty low because I don't advertise the Patreon on the newsletter enough, probably. I should do it more like every couple of months and I do it like once a year. And yeah, so that's, and that's the way to kind of look at the, the, the action, right? Because to me, the lower part of my funnel is you joined my Patreon, right? By the way, if you're watching this video and you're enjoying it, consider joining my Patreon. You get all kinds of great free stuff. So not free, you're paying two bucks, but it's cheap. It's $2 a month, but you get a lot of stuff for your two bucks a month. And that was my little quick ad. I hope you enjoyed it. Now I need a drink. I get dry when I do ads. So 
Anyway, that was a good place to do a poll, right? And half of patrons answered the poll. So it's you know, pretty significant, more than a thousand. I don't know if it's a thousand people, 700, 800 people. And most of them are finding me through YouTube. So like YouTube turned out to be a really valuable avenue, right? And that's why I say like try everything because, you know, try everything because you don't know which one is going to be big. I didn't know YouTube was going to be so big. And what if I had done YouTube a long time ago, right? Matt Covell worked well for him, right? Did really well. So I think that that is an interesting experience that I would share. And YouTube, I think, hits that sort of attention, you know, the, the, the funnel, right? We talk about the funnel up here, right? Right. Attention, interest, decision, and action. And then super fans, right? And YouTube hits a lot of these, right? It's got, because think about like the, the, you know, think about how this works, right? Attention, they see the videos because the videos come across their feed because it recommends one video because you watch another video. Interest, you can go and click that viewer and watch other videos. This happened to me today, right? I did a search. I saw a video that matched my search. I liked what she had to say. So I watched more videos of hers. And I'm like, I really like this. I'm going to hit subscribe. And I hit subscribe. And that went attention, interest, and decision, right? And I didn't buy her book, but maybe I will, right? And maybe I'll go through all four of these in a, a, a day, right? I'm going to go through her funnel and I'm going to buy her book. I wonder, I probably should. I will buy her book. I'll do that. As long as it's easy to buy. Make it easy to buy. So YouTube offers three of these four, right? And often allows for the fourth because it's like one click to get to the book, to the patron or to the Kickstarter, right? Like YouTube actually, unlike Twitter, which wants you to never leave, YouTube so far is pretty good about letting you link to stuff, put links at the end of your videos so that people can go right at the end and, and click on a thing, put it in the descriptions and you can talk about it in your video. Hey, in the description, you can subscribe to my Patreon, right? That it makes it pretty easy to with like one or two clicks to become, to go into action, right? That I think is, is really, is really powerful. Technically Twitter kind of does this too but not doesn't seem to be as well. Like Twitter actually now just has a pro mode where you can have somebody click a little dollar sign and it will go straight to action. And so in, in the Twitter stream, they theoretically can go attention, interest, decision, and action inside Twitter. So Gardner Arlandia says, why stream here rather than there? Very good question. Inertia. I've already, I'm already here, right? I thought about that today. I actually considered trying to figure out how to stream on both platforms at the same time because I am not a Twitch partner. So I can go wherever I want, right? And I think that that's, I, I, I should try that, right? I should try. I know like other people actually prefer streaming on YouTube. Someday I'll try it. I should have tried it today, but I didn't. But that's a very good, yeah. You can use Restream to dual stream. I think I can use Streamlabs. Streamlabs, I think, can go to both places as well. So I don't know. The, the difference, uh, Gaming and BS says we moved all to YouTube. Gaming BS, where, 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 where is your, what is your, what is your channel and stuff? If I'm embarrassed to say, I don't, I don't know. And Restream.io works for, yeah. The only problem I have with that is like, how do you engage with the community on both platforms, right? Like right now I'm talking to all you guys on Twitch. Gamingandbs.com slash YouTube. Cool. Thank you. Uh, I'll click on that later. I don't want to click it because I don't know where it's going to go. So, so what, what was I saying? Oh, so Restream.io gives you a unified chat window. That's kind of cool, right? I think there's a cost of dual stream. Lots of screens. I don't have, I only have the one screen. I just bought a new screen and I'm not, not buying another. I got a really nice table mount for it though. It's cool. It's like floating over my desk. We didn't actually talk at all about products, right? Do we want to talk a little bit about like, where do you sell it, right? And I guess another question is, what do you make? And I'll share some thoughts on this, right? Like really consider, 
people's time, people's time is probably almost more valuable than their money now, right? Like the, the, the costs for things are cheap enough that it ain't about getting the three bucks. It's about the time that you're going to take from them with your product, which is why I think small things, I think small things are better than big things, especially early on, right? Like Rob Schwab makes these really cool. Let's see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go find a Rob Schwab product here. Rob Schwab wrote one page adventures for Shadow of the Demon Lord. They are literally one page. You could print them out on an eight and a half by 11 horizontal piece of paper and the whole adventure is there. And I think he charged like 50 cents for them or some ridiculously cheap amount of money. I think you could charge a couple of bucks if it's really good. I think you could charge a dollar if it's just fun, right? But think about like those one page adventures. You're not taking a lot of time. I would totally buy something like that because I know like, it's got something useful for me that I can use in my game, right? What's useful for other people, right? What are you making that is going to make their lives better, right? Really think about that. Really ask, you know, why this over everything else? And I'll give you an example, right? Which is going to shatter, shatter some people, you know, shatter some people's uh, dreams. I'm sure your campaign world, I'm sure you love it. Right. I'm sure your massive campaign world is really cool and you love it. And I know that you've got like three, three ring binders full of stuff for that. And that's outstanding. But I can also buy Midgard from Kobold Press. Right. Why would I buy yours over Midgard? What is it about? What is about your campaign world that you want me to spend twenty five dollars on and worse, want me to read your three hundred and ninety page PDF? Right. Why is that better than the 15 other campaign worlds that I'm also not reading, by the way, <laughs> right? Like what makes that one better? And it's gotta be more than we don't have clerics because the gods are dead, right? Or dwarves are secretly cyber people, right? Like, you know, not so great. I'll give you a cool thing though. Again, Rob Schwab, you wanna see some great products? Check out Rob Schwab's stuff on DriveThruRPG because he makes really outstanding stuff. He makes campaign source book material that's like 12 pages long, right? Short stuff about one city, right? Write a thing about a town and an interesting town that I can drop into my world, right? Because the other one is 50% of DMs are already running in their own world and their own adventures, according to my last polls, right? 50% of this is, I gotta change it, right? 50% of polled DMs are running their own homebrew worlds with their own homebrew adventures, right? They don't want yours. They have their own. Give, what can you give them, right? Well, maybe you give them adventure locations. I think Wizards of the Coast has said this too. They've, they've, they do have data on this, that people wanna buy adventure locations, right? So if you're gonna start with something, I would, I would probably say adventure locations, right? And, and you know what's really easy about these? You go to Dyson Logos, right? Do you want a Dyson Logos at blog? Yep, maps, commercial maps, right? Think about this for a minute. Think about the leverage that you can do. And you know who else is doing this? Cobalt Press is doing this. These are hundreds, five, 500 maps. Look at it go. Look at all these maps. So Dyson, who by the way, is published in many Wizards of the Coast books also is giving away maps you can use for commercial use right you can use this as a commercial map and write your own adventure your own little adventure location about this map right and it costs you nothing eight thousand pixel wide look at the size of this map right so he is a true professional cartographer 
that is published in Wizards of the Coast. He's apparently streaming right now. You should probably stop watching me and go check out him. I assume it's a him, right? We don't know who Dyson is, which is kind of cool. You can go take any of these commercially available maps that he's got and make a product around it. You know what else you can do? You can go commit, you can go get some licensed artwork from DriveThruRPG and put images that aren't stock art into your uh, product as well. You can do it inside Word. You can get a friend to read over it and make sure your text isn't terrible. Ideally, if your friend has a little bit of editorial experience, maybe they'll, they'll help you out. And you can put together a product for very, very little, right? If anything, it's gonna take your time, which is not nothing, right? But you can get something together. And I think if I were recommending something, I think adventure locations would be a cool thing to recommend. But maybe you have another angle. And another angle is good. What are some other things you do? I'm not sure about player-focused material. And I think that MCDM just did polls about this and found that their, their customers don't really want player-focused material. So they're doubling down. They're saying, well, we have the wrong customers. <laughs> and they want to get more players to buy stuff. Okay, you know, give it a shot. But I think that's going to be a hard thing for them to do, much less us, right? Much less, much less, you know, somebody who's just getting started in this in this industry. So I think DM focused stuff, things that they can drop into their game or things that can just give them ideas. I think those are good approaches. I think adventure locations are, you know, I don't think you can ever have enough of them if they're interesting and they're short. You can do them without a lot of words, right? You can make a short product and charge a couple bucks for it. You know, pick a, pick a theme, pick an angle. That doesn't mean you can then do that and put it on DriveThruRPG and everybody in the world is going to buy it. Maybe not. Maybe you only sell three copies, but maybe that's all you wanted was three people to buy it, right? Who can say? Maybe you give it away, right? Maybe you put these things together and build a blog where you give away like a location. Monty Cook did this for a while. He had Adventure a Day where every day he put out a room of an adventure that you could sort of build and use. Maybe try that. What other, what other kinds of products do I think... And have I experienced that that are that are successful? There's there's certain things that can kind of scale infinitely. Uh, weird monsters. People always seem to like monsters. The trick with monsters is you you know I think you are not helping people if you don't play test that monster. So consider play testing your monsters yourself, and also maybe having other people try to run your monster. But that's not a terrible thing. I don't think adventure locations are good. Encounters. People like drop in encounters. I bet you that one of the, my favorite products, and it's clearly not mine, it's clearly not, I'm not the only one who's got a favorite product, is the city, my page is too narrow. It's, it's been in like the top selling products for a long time. It doesn't look like it is now. And it's uh, Waterdeep City Encounters, right? And I think Waterdeep City Encounters, I have a lot of friends that wrote for this, by the way. James Intercasso, M.T. Black, Sean Merwin, lots of people that I, Will Doyle, people I very much know, love and respect. I think, and it's a yeah, adamantine bestseller, right? So sold many, many copies. Rich Lescafer was involved. I think this is the best encounter book I've ever read, right? I bought the paper copy and I beat the hell out of that thing. Uh, and I think you can use it for just about any city. But if you want an example of the right resolution for an encounter product, try this one out. There are a lot of others. There's a lot of others written by the people that wrote this one. But this one always has grabbed me as being the perfect size. Like the encounter is the perfect size. It's three sentences long at best. You know, they're, they are short. They are short books, short encounters. It's not a two-page spread. And that's because like, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't need a book of a thousand two-page encounters. 
give me a hundred that are two, three paragraphs long, right? Take a look at this one. I think it's a fantastic model and I'd love to see more products like this. You know, <clears throat> it's above, the, the resolution of the encounter is higher than nulls, right? Oh, I rolled a 22 nulls, right? You don't want that. But you also don't want like, oh, you rolled a six. Well, here's this two page. It's really an adventure, right? Where it's got an introduction and it's got, a, you know, things that happen in middle and it's got a conclusion. Well, that's an adventure, right? A two page spread. I can do an adventure in a two page spread. Like I want something shorter than that. And I want a lot of them. And I want enough that I can read them at the table and go, ah, that's kind of cool. So it's like, you know, gnolls are standing around a totem that they are worshiping and the totems slowly shifting as they look at it and blood flows from its mouth. And you're like, what the hell's that? Right. Give me enough of like a cool thing. That's unique. That gives me some hooks that I can use for my encounter, but isn't so much that I have to read like two pages. I, I bet you there's more, there's more uh, use for stuff like that. What else? What some monsters I, I talked about, I think like having a set of thematic monsters is cool, right? D&D has done this from time to time. We have like four monsters around a particular theme. That's not such a bad way to go. I don't think I would, if, if they were good, you know, I guess like, what would I buy? Right. And I would buy, I would buy something like this, but you really like, what are the things that are going to help people run d and I, I ponder this question all the time and have pondered it for years. What are the hard parts, right? What are the hard parts for running D&D and what can help you do it, right? And Gaming at BS says, well, I might as well put my stuff in the trash. Thanks, Mike. Hey, you know, I'm here for you. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, what do you, what do you produce, right? Is it, do you have the 400 page campaign source book? You know, and I'm not saying like, it's not, you know, people won't buy that stuff because a, a lot of them do. I do. I do buy a lot of, I do buy a lot of source books. I buy a lot of source books from them. But boy, it's hard competition, right? Because like, you know, Celeste Conowich over 2C Gaming is doing hers, right? And she's got a whole, she's super, super talented and they've got a whole enterprise making that book really awesome. What do you got? <laughs> right? and like it's, it's hard. Small things. I would, I would definitely focus on like the two page and four page things. And you can do like little source booky things like write, write a four page campaign source book. If you want to do it, what can you give me in four pages? That's going to give me a world that I think, wow, this is really cool. I want to do stuff with that. Right. So consider that raging swan, raging swan makes great stuff. You know, you want to look at another, other types of products, you know, take a look at raging swan, raging swan books on, on drive through RPG. I, you can see I've got six, seven of them sitting right next to me at all times, right? Because I love Raging Swan. Uh, I think they, you know, Raging Swan makes great material. So check them out. Check out Robert Schwab stuff. Check out Raging Swan. Check out Waterdeep City Encounters. 2C Gaming and their material, right? Really good stuff. The other, another thing I would, I would offer up, and what is it? Somebody's going to have to remind me of this. RPG Writer Workshop, flagship program, right? I think... I would, I would definitely recommend this. I've had friends of mine, I've, people in my Discord have gone through it. I've had friends go through it. I've had friends that, that have taught in this thing. I, I, I think you could do worse than, than do this, right? The programs are not expensive and they actually have scholarships available. I would, and I've, I've, I've supported them by offering, by offering scholarships for it. So take a look at that. Uh, RPG, you know, I think if you Google RPG Writer Worship, it's here at storytellingcollective.com. 
they help people make adventures. They get you through writing an adventure, right? And it's probably a good way to meet people and to get ideas of stuff. And I'm sure they have lots of experiences in what's worked and what's not, probably more so than I've had because I only have my own, right? And my friends that I talk to, but they've, they've probably had a lot more people go through the thing. And I think like if you're aiming at that idea of like, I want to get something out the door and I want to publish it and try it out and I want to have three people try it and like it, great, right? Uh, I guess the other thing about making a product is the Robert Rodriguez philosophy that like you've got 10 bad products in you. So you get those 10 bad products out as fast as you can. I think Rodriguez had more than 10 bad movies, but you know what I mean, right? But it's going to take you some time to learn how to do this, right? And it's going to take you time to learn how to write well if you're writing and it's going to learn and, and getting the format and all that. So, you know, that that is really... You consider getting a lot of stuff out there, right? And and small stuff is better than big stuff because you don't want your 300-page campaign book to be terrible because you didn't really understand about passive voice, right? Or, or yeah, so get get bad stuff out, right? And and you'll get better, right, as you do it and as you get feedback on it. So I think that works. Where do you sell this stuff? If you actually want to put products up for sale, where do you put it up? The most common in the D&D world would be D&D, the DMs Guild, Right. I am going to I will I'm, I'm going to make some hard statements about the DM because I'm worried. I worry about it. It is a fantastic place to publish material for D&D under particular circumstances. One, that you are writing in Wizards of the Coast's intellectual property areas. So you're writing for the Forgotten Realms. You're writing for Ravenloft. You're writing for Eberron. Right. Like think of it this way. When you put a product up on the DMs Guild. You're paying Wizards of the Coast 20% of your revenue for their intellectual property. So if you're not using their intellectual property in your product on the DMs Guild, you're giving Wizards of the Coast 20% of their money for nothing, right? They are giving you a service. They're giving you access to their IP. Use that access, right? So that's number one. Two is there's a lot of copywritten artwork available on the DMs Guild you can use in your products. Use that artwork too, right? It's a, there's a lot of material there. There's a lot of templates that you can use that are only available in the DMs Guild to help make good DMs Guild products. Use that stuff, right? If you are not using Wizards of the Coast's IP, I don't think publishing to the DMs Guild is a very good idea. And the reason why is if you are publishing something that isn't using Wizards of the Coast's IP, you are handing over the rights to that product to them forever, right? You're giving them that you still own it in theory. You still own it. You just can't sell it anywhere else forever, right? When you put a product up on the, on the DMs Guild, you are giving them an unlimited exclusive license to publish that work on the DMs Guild for forever, right? It does not go down. So it's not like it gets returned to you in five years, right? It's gone. And now, that makes absolute perfect sense if you're using Wizards of the Coast IP because you can't publish that anywhere else anyway because it's illegal, right? So if you wrote your Forgotten Realms, you know, if you wanted to write about a pyramid in Honorook and it's all tied into Forgotten Realms, and you have Forgotten Realms characters in there and you have all kinds of Forgotten Realms stuff in there, well, you can't sell that anywhere else anyway, right? So it makes perfect sense to sell in the DMs Guild. In that sense, the DMs Guild is a fantastic place to sell products. But let's say you're writing about a crazy pyramid in a desert anyway, and you're not using the Forgotten Realms, and you're talking about sphinxes, and you're talking about, you know, uh, liches and mummies and, and other kinds of things. Well, why are you giving Wizards of the Coast not only 20% of your revenue, but also an exclusive unlimited license forever for your pyramid 
your adventure about a pyramid filled with liches, right? Now, the argument against that is it's far, it's easier to sell a product in the DMs Guild than it is to sell a D&D product anywhere else. And I think that's true, except you can not only sell it anywhere else, you can sell it everywhere else you can sell a copy on, as an ebook on on audible or you can you can do an audiobook on audible you can sell a, an ebook version on amazon you can create a print on demand version on amazon you can put it up on itch.io you can make it a kickstarter reward you can make it a patreon reward you can give it away to people you there's so many other avenues for a product outside of the dm's guild that if you put it inside the dm's guild you are cut off from right so if you're writing for, the, I think the, to me, the only good reason to write for the DMs Guild is to use their IP, right? The other argument is, well, that's also a good way to get discovered by Wizards of the Coast. How many people has that worked out for, right? Six, maybe, right? Seven. There's a few freelancers that I know that have now written in hardcover books, but it's not a lot, right? And there's also now people that work at Wizards of the Coast, that never really wrote on the DMs Guild. So that's not the only way to get hired by Wizards of the Coast, right? It's clearly not. You know, they, they kind of say like, well, it's the only way. And, and I've heard like James Intercastle says like he, what, you know, the way he got in with Wizards of the Coast was that Chris Perkins said, hey, a lot of people said I should look at your stuff. What do you have on the DMs Guild? And he said, well, here's the stuff I've written on the DMs Guild. And Perkins said, great, let's have a phone call and you start writing. And James wrote for like five books, right? But look at like MT Black. He wrote a ton of stuff on the DMs Guild and it took forever for him to even be a guild adept. And then they did bring him in and then he worked on, I think, Descent to Navernus. I don't know if he's done anything else outside of Descent. He might've done something else. I'm not sure, right? So it, it worked out for that. But how many people have been writing? What's the denominator in that equation? How many people have been writing for the guild that never got a call from Chris Perkins? A lot. That's lottery ticket stuff, right? And what are you paying for your lottery ticket? You're paying... For, with an exclusive perpetual license to your material that you can never get back again. And one day, it may, this may never happen, may never happen in our lifetimes, it may happen two years from now, the DM Guild might go down, right? They might say, you know what, we're, we're, we're not doing the DMs Guild anymore, we're doing this other thing. And all the material there is gone. And you can't move your material anywhere else. It's gone, right? Now maybe, probably they'll find something, that will probably be a good way, but you know, it could disappear. And if you don't own your product, you're trusting the platform to hold it forever. And that's a big if. So that's my, you know, I think I've, I think I've, you know, banged on that point probably enough. But other places that you can sell. To me, there's so many different places that you can put products, right? So, so Amazon, you know, they have print on demand and they have eBooks, right? And you're not going to sell a lot in the ebook side, but print on demand, I've had tremendous success on Amazon. A lot of the success that I've had, I think like 60% or 70% of my sales come from Amazon as a print on demand product, right? So much so that it shouldn't have been print on demand. Drive through RPG sell, you know, it's a it's a good, decent place. You can do print on demand there. It's easier to get products up on print on demand on drive through RPG than it is in the DMs Guild, certainly. So, you know, that that is, I think DriveThruRPG is an excellent place and it's not an exclusive license. So you can put it on DriveThruRPG, you can also sell it somewhere else. Itch.io, I've never really used them. I think I put a product up in there just to see, I didn't really see anything. Your own store, right? I use a, a, a program called eJunkie that lets me sell my PDFs to people through PayPal, right? It's a it's very lightweight e-commerce PayPal thing. I've been using it for 10 years, right? They cost me $10 a month for the service. and and they don't charge me anything. And then PayPal charges like a small percentage for credit card transaction fee. It gives me 95% of the return on a book sale, right? If you buy a PDF, 
uh, for, for 10 bucks, I get nine, like $9 and 20 cents for a $10 PDF. All right. But it's hard to get that in front of people. I certainly don't sell as many of those as I sell like on Amazon. Amazon's like 70%. Most of them are 70, 30, which is a really good rate. But then you can also do them as Kickstarter rewards, right? I just, we had like a third of the total sales of fantastic layers have occurred on the Kickstarter for the lazy DMs companion because it was an add on, right? So like the idea that you can then add that into a pool and then sell it, you know, in another platform. Another one is that if you can get into it are the, uh, the bundles of holding, right? I've been lucky enough to have my product stuck in bundles of holding and that's like free money because he calls, you know, you get an email, Hey, we'd like, we love this product you did. We'd like to add it to a bundle of holding. You'll get a percentage. I'm like, great. Right. And the next thing I know a check and not even a check shows up, shows up in my bank account. Right. I'm like, wow, I didn't have to do anything at all. It's like the best hourly value I've ever gotten. That's possible because you have products that you could put everywhere. And so just like the, where do you put products? Where, how do you get your brand out there? I, I think it makes sense not to align yourself with any one group. Like I'm just going to be a Twitch guy and I'm going to earn all my money through Twitch, right? No, be everywhere, right? Your platform is your own. Put it everywhere, right? And then where do you sell your stuff? Everywhere, right? Like wherever you can, right? Where do you sell your stuff? Wherever you can. And, and I think that, you know, uh, drive RPG earns more revenue than DMs go. Yeah, because you're not paying that 20% to Wizards of the Coast, right? It's 70-30 split. I think it's 65, it's, I think it's a uh, 65-35 uh, split on drive RPG for non-exclusive products, but you're not giving that 15, extra 15% to Wizards of the Coast for the IP for stuff that they don't own, right? So I think that that, I think that that works out. So... Yeah. I mean, and again, not advice, right? I'm not like, I don't even sell on all these platforms and I'm not saying don't do anything on the DMs guild, right? I think, I think the DMs guild could be a good way to get your, to, to, to get some, some, you know, some ground under your feet on this idea, but do it really. If you've got stuff that you want to do, you know, you want to write about the red wizards of Thay. You can't do that anywhere else. So do it on the DMs Guild. Uh, I'll offer one other experience, not of my own, but from other people who have been on the Guild and then tried to get out of the Guild is that the audience for your DM Guild stuff does not transfer with you. So unlike your newsletter or some of your other social media platforms and stuff like that, there's not a good way to get people who bought your DMs Guild stuff to buy your stuff outside of the DMs Guild. It's, it's a pretty sealed up ecosystem. And the reason why is you can't email them. Right? You don't actually have a list of your customers over there. So unlike DriveThruRPG, where you can email your customers, at least about other DriveThruRPG products, but you can also promote your Kickstarter. If you do a Kickstarter, you can promote it through DriveThruRPG, but you can't do it with the DMs Guild, right? So it's hard. I've seen this with people, right? I've seen people that were big names in the DMs Guild who struggled to get enough people to support their work outside of the DMs Guild. It was not quite as bad as starting over, but it wasn't as much as you would think. It's very easy to be like, well, I'm really big on the DMs Guild. I can certainly be big elsewhere. And it turns out, no, you're going to have to work, right? That, that's the experience I've seen. So if you DMs Guild, I, I don't think is a necessarily a great springboard uh, to get stuff otherwise. I'm not... You know, and this is other people's experiences that I'm sharing more so than my own, but I, but I think that that is true. It has been an hour and 20 minutes. I don't know that I have any other final, what, what final thoughts do I have, right? Kind of the, what are the big takeaways from this? What are the big takeaways that we've had? Where do I buy my books? I buy, I, I buy stuff all the time on DriveThruRPG. I buy stuff all the time from the DMs Guild. I back a ton of Kickstarters. I find Kickstarter is probably the most interesting place to get RPG books. 
Kickstarter is probably my number one. I really love the stuff that I get from Kickstarter. It's care- you got to be careful about what you back. You want to know that they're going to be able to do what they can do, that you want some kind of track record. But man, some of the stuff that I've been getting from Kickstarter has just blown me away. I really love it. Cobalt Press was nailing it. Bjorkberg, Iron Sworn, you know, all kinds of great stuff. Esper Genesis, tremendous stuff. So I think Kickstarter is a fantastic way to find product. I have backed more than 200 Kickstarters at this point. So, so that's good. Uh, future for Sly Flourish, I don't know. Getting, getting the Lazy DMs Companion into people's hands is my number one future. Do I have another thing I'm working on? A little bit. Yeah, playing play with some stuff. Let's get back to doing some writing, but not really ready to talk about it yet. And it's not that, you know, like, I mean, I want to say it's not that exciting. Like, it's going to be great. Like, you'll love it. You should totally buy it. But, you know, right now I'm just kind of getting my head around it. Fun stuff. I need to take a little bit of a break, right? So I, I don't think my next thing is going, it's not a novel. I'm not writing a novel. No one wants to read a novel. Um, I think my next thing, by the time it's ready to get in front of people, well, I'll give you a hint. Patrons are always going to get sneak previews of everything I did. So if you really care to see the kind of stuff that I'm working on, Patreon is the way to, is the place to, to see that because they're, they're going to see my stuff early. They're going to see they're going to help me forge what I'm doing. It worked so well for the lazy DM companion. It made that book so much stronger. I'm almost certainly going to do that on, on Patreon. So what are the final thoughts? The final things that I have set, you know, set realistic, set realistic expectations, right? Understand what you really want to achieve and, and can you achieve that and understand like, is that a lot? Am I really asking to win the lottery? Right, because you don't want to be disappointed. Be like, oh, I, one day I'm going to work for Wizards of the Coast. Well, not that many people do, right? And then they do, and then they don't, right? So, you know, ask yourself what your real what your real goal is, and is that a realistic goal? And I I think it it seems reasonable to me to start with the I want to make something that some friends that some people I know read and like. You know, that'd be a good start. I I earned enough to pay off my electric bill one month, right? That's great. Do I earn enough to pay my electric bill off every month? Well, that'd be pretty great, right? Can I earn enough to start lowering my hours at jobby job so that I can do more of this? That's a really good place to be, right? That's the place I'm at, right? You know, can I, can I lower, but the problem is like the other thing in this industry, right? Don't quit your day job, right? Because you know what? None of this has healthcare, right? I know this is a U.S. centric problem, but in the U.S., like, you know, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, you know, no healthcare in the industry, right? Unless you're working for a company and then you kind of hope that that company is going to have you on forever. So it's a real problem. Set real small experiments, right? Short products. Focus on attention and seek it everywhere. Use all of the platforms. Try out all the platforms anyway, right? Focus on the ones that work for you and the ones that you like, right? Sounds an awful like advice, doesn't it? It sounds like advice. It's not advice. These are these are thoughts, right? These are me just getting my head around it. I'm not saying you do this, you're going to be successful. I have no idea, right? Take time for yourself. Yeah, today was going to be my vacation day. <laughs> and I'm, here I am, but I'm mostly here because I wanted to try this stuff out. And I thought it was a fun topic. Consistency. So what? What would we say? Quality, consistency, and luck. Yeah, that's the kind of the formula, the formula for success. Take my own advice. Yeah, I should. I probably will take a break. I think I'm going to go play Ghost of Tsushima. I want to play that. It's a beautiful game. 
It's not quite sticky enough. Not as sticky as Demon Souls was, but it's it's not bad. I think I think that we've beaten the hell out of this topic, and I hope it's useful to people. Uh, I will make these notes available. I will I will click share right now. I will share to the web. I will copy this link. I will paste it in Twitch so you can have it yourself. And I will put the notes in the in the in the video description if you if you have not seen it. And, you know, I hope the conversation was useful. I, I know it didn't offer like the best cleanest advice on like how to make it because you, it's, there isn't really excellent clean advice, but I hope it gave some thoughts to, I hope, I hope it gave some thoughts on the topic that you found interesting. So I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me on this Saturday afternoon. It's, I love doing this stuff. It's always fun. And so I really appreciate it. If you like this show and you want to see more stuff like this, you can help me out in a few ways. One, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. Two, you can support me directly on Patreon. Three, you can subscribe to my videos on YouTube. Or four, you can pick up any of my books. That's that low, the lowest level on the pyramid. So uh, thank you all very much. Have a great day. And I'll see you tomorrow morning for the next D&D talk show.